Father, we just thank you for Mary, and we just receive him in the name of Jesus. We receive him in the name of, re of a prophet, and we want that prophet's reward, Father God. We just thank you for what, it, what he has come to release in South Africa, and we just thank you that, that, um, that because of him and his family, there'll be a legacy of, of a heart turned to prayer, a heart that turns to Jesus in each and every circumstance. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, man. Amen, brother. Uh, a couple things. Just that was one of my favorite prayers ever, so thank you. I, I, uh, I've got a session that you could teach in our class on Wednesday, if you'd like. And then also, I, I feel like you know more about my future than I do, which is cool as well, so that's good. I, so we should talk later. Oh, okay, okay, good. Okay, great. I don't know why I'm here, actually. I'm like... I like you guys. I just, I just want to say I like you guys. This is amazing. It's so good to be with you. I don't know if you know this, but not every church is like you. Do you I don't know. Do you know that? No, no, and you shouldn't. Like, you should just pretend like this is normal. Not every church is like you, and I like, I like you. And, and so it's, it's just good to be with you. We're excited. Um, I, I like like was already said, we've we've we will be in South Africa for a total of three months. We love South Africa, and uh, we want to stay longer. And uh, but we must go back for a little while. But 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 we'll be back. So we'll see you again. And uh, we love what God's doing here. And I hope you're aware that God's doing something unique. I think it's been it's been witnessed to a number of times since we've been here that what God's doing from leaders in the body of Christ, that what God's doing here in South Africa is unique, and it's, it's not happening anywhere else right now, and, and I just, I just, I want to, we, we are going to continue to pray with you as you press in for the promises of God over South Africa and everything that he wants to do in this nation. I believe that you guys are going to be a light to the nations, and so uh, I'm, we're believing for that. So my wife and I have been a part of this worship and prayer movement for a little while, as has already been said. We were um, part of starting the International House of Prayer in Kansas City and, uh, and then also have been a part of it ever since, along with being outside of Kansas City for a little while, planting prayer rooms as well, and then back at the International House of Prayer University, at training students to do this in other places. And then it was in that place that we started 111 because there wasn't a missions organization on the planet, I think I'm right, in saying that, that would send missionaries to build prayer rooms somewhere else. And so we're like, we need one of those missions organizations that will send missionaries to build prayer rooms in other places. And so that's where 111 started. And we thought that it would just be our summer project, but eventually it became our full-time work. And the Lord will tell you more about this on Wednesday when you all are here on Wednesday. And, and we'll tell you more about that, the way that the Lord spoke to us about that even before we were married, and so we're walking in some of those dreams that God gave us at the beginning. But there was that one season, there were a few years that we were in Colorado Springs, and we were working with a ministry called Every Home for Christ. Uh, a man named Dick Eastman leads Every Home for Christ. He wrote a book called Intercessory Worship. If you've not read it, you should read it. Um, his great understanding of what God's doing in this hour in worship and prayer and the advance of the kingdom, and it was our joy to plant a prayer room in Colorado Springs, and we were working with their missionaries in China, 
and we were going to take a group of 15 of our interns over to China, and we were, were going to move through some of the provinces in worship and prayer and just stir the church for night and day prayer in China. And so I had to take a scouting trip to China to um, just to, to build the relationships and make sure that we were ready to actually bring 15 interns into China. And in that moment, I, 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 so I flew over to China, landing in a city of 22 million people. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm rural. Like I grew up on a farm. I, I like open spaces. Cities of 22 million people make me nervous. And uh, so I'm landing in the city, 22 million people. I have one contact in the city. And as I land in the city and I, and I start to, to get data on my phone, I get one message that says that that's from the pastor that I'm going to be meeting and he's stuck outside of the city. He can't make it back in and he can't meet with me. And now I'm here in a city of 22 million people and I have no contact. I have no one to meet with. But bless God, he sent another message saying, I have another friend who will meet with you. Here's his address. So I was so grateful. I go to the sixth floor of this building. I meet with the pastor. We talk about the church in China. And as I begin to, to tell him what we want to partner with them to do, I can see his eyes light up as I, I talk about bringing a worship team and together working throughout China just to say, God, there's going to be night and day prayer all over China one day, and we're going to believe for it. And I could just see his eyes light up. And he... He says, we have more office space. And he takes me across the hall to an office that's probably, I mean, it's probably about the size of the platform, maybe just a little more square shaped. And, I, and as I walk in, there's, there's a little platform in the corner. There, there's a keyboard. There's a guitar. There's a cajon. There's a projector on the ceiling and a, and, a, and a screen. And there's little carpets on the floor that say Leviticus 6.13. The fire on the altar will never go out. And in that moment, I realized that in a city of 22 million people, in a nation where it's illegal, I've stumbled into a prayer room. And there's just one or two people just around the clock, just in the place of prayer and in the place of worship, never stopping in that city. And the Lord thunders into my spirit in, this, in that moment, and he says, if I can do it here, I can do it anywhere. And I will. And I believe he will. I mean, it's been a journey for me. I mean, I love night and day prayer, but I'm just telling you, night and day prayer is, it's, it's, it's night and day. Like, it doesn't stop. You, you, you know, like, there are jobs, like, we like our jobs, but we like our jobs to stop sometimes. And night and day prayer is one of those jobs that just never stops. And so I love the idea of it, but the truth is, you've got to do more than just love the idea of it in order to give yourself to it wholeheartedly. And as a church, when we begin to talk about, hey, we want a prayer room, and as a city, and we say, we want worship and prayer that never stops, we, we have to know more than just, hey, they're doing it over there, we should do that. There has to be a biblical rooting, a biblical understanding of why God, by the Holy Spirit, is stirring night and day worship and prayer all over the globe right now. You know, in 1983, how many of you were alive in 1983? Raise your hand. Proud. Raise them high. Just, wow, just not very many of you. Wow. I was alive in 1983. And, and just so you know, there was like, there was, there, there was, 
we didn't know what a house of prayer was in 1983. Like, we didn't use that terminology, at least not in my church or not in the circles that I run in. But do you know that today we know that there's well over 10,000 prayer rooms all over the planet. And I know that there's well over 10,000 because they're in little, in little homes in the, the back of churches and missions, bases all over the planet that we're not even aware of. But God, by the Holy Spirit, is stirring something. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why? Because if we don't understand why, and if we don't understand that it's actually rooted in the Bible from the Old Testament through the New Testament, we won't actually give it the attention it needs. And I believe we'll miss out. And so tonight, I just want to spend a little bit of time introducing why, why, why worship and prayer? Why is the Holy Spirit stirring worship and prayer in an increased way? I think the church around the globe is talking about it. They might not use the phrase house of prayer, but they might say, God, we want more of your presence. We want to be carriers of your presence. We want more worship. We want more prayer. There's just general hunger. In the body of Christ, there's a general ache, and I, and I want to talk for just a moment about why today. Because I believe the Bible gives us a clear picture of why. And, it, and, it, and you can really sum it up in God's dream and even the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray when he walked on the planet. When Jesus taught us to pray, and he said, pray this way. He said, pray our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And, and as believers, often when we pray that prayer, we're asking for the result of the kingdom of heaven. We're wanting all the good things that come with the kingdom, right? We want no more sickness, no more disease, no more death, no more dying, no more, no more depression, no more human trafficking, no more hunger, no more corrupt governments. We're, we're wanting all of those things, right? But we have to understand that the reason heaven is like that is because of its government. It's because the way that God, seated on a throne in a real throne room in heaven, rules the universe. He holds it all together by the word of his power. He executes judgments from that throne room. He rules every, all of his created order from that place. The Bible says that he holds everything together by the word of his power. I believe that he holds you together right now. He gives you the air that you breathe right now. If he stopped ruling, you would stop breathing. So it's critical that he keeps ruling. And heaven is perfect because he's perfect and he rules perfectly. And we have to understand that change comes because of a change in government. And, and we can see that there's a dim reflection of it in the nations of North Korea and South Korea. If you just take a minute to Google North and South Korea at night, you're going to see something that looks like this. You're going to see a landmass that once was one nation, one people, one language, but now has two governments. In the middle of the screen, you're going to see in that dark part, you're going to see, you'll see North Korea. The south part, you're going to see South Korea. Same people group, same landmass, same language, different government. And the circumstances in those two nations are completely different. In the south, you have freedom and you have 
education and and you have information and you have uh, you have democracy and you have the ability to gain wealth and start businesses. You have freedom of religion. It's one of the churches that is influencing the globe most powerfully from South Korea. One of the greatest prayer movements have come out of South Korea. But in the north, you have an evil dictator who rules his people with a rod of iron and he gives them no ability to make decisions. He doesn't allow them to see the outside world. They're hungry, they're poor, they're uneducated, and they barely, you, look at that, they, there's not even light. Meaning at night, there's no electricity. And so you look at, wow, like those are the same people. Those are the same language group. It's the same landmass, two different governments. And the way that our governments work really do impact people. And so I believe that God is wanting to bring his government to the earth. When he says, I want it to be on the earth as it is in heaven, he's saying, you've got to actually bring my government to get the results of my kingdom. In order for it to be a kingdom of light, you actually have to carry my government. And I believe the church first are those people who carry the very government of God. You know, because Jesus walked on the planet as well. You can imagine he was fully God, fully man. He had seen the perfection of, a, of a, a kingdom of light. And now he's walking on the planet. Ruled, the Bible tells us that this earth is ruled by the prince of this power, by the power of this air, Satan. So while... God has ultimate authority. We've given Satan dominion over this world because the dominion was to be ours. The dominion of the world, the, the, the government of this world was to be ours at creation, right? God says, I'm, I'm giving you all authority over the created order, but we gave it away when we sinned. So we gave it to Satan, and now it's ruled by an evil dictator. A a roaring lion seeking who he may devour, and the earth is groaning under his leadership. But God's given us the church, and I believe by his spirit, he's awakening us to be his government right now, that we would push back darkness and release light over the nations of the earth. And I believe that's what we see happening in the worship and prayer movement, and I want to show you why from the word of God. I want to show you why. It's, it's important. You know, when Jesus walked on the earth, the, the, the Jewish people were ruled by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire ruled pretty much the whole earth, known world at the time. And while, while there was much that, that couldn't be seen as helpful... They were also ruling with a rod of iron over the people of Israel, and, and they wanted to hold their power. And the Roman Empire was so oppressive at times that they could crucify people at will, hang them at the side of the road just to, to remind people who was in control. Jesus walked in that kind of oppression. His people were hungry. His people had no uh, had no freedoms. They could, they could, their lives could be interrupted at any moment. Anything could be taken away from them. They barely had freedom of religion. 
Even that was interrupted. And Jesus walked in that groan. And you can imagine the people were longing for a Messiah to come and take over. To, 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 to overthrow the Roman government. We are in need of righteous government. And Jesus, of course, could have done that in a moment, right? He, he, he could have called 10,000 angels. He, he, could have, he could have completely overthrown the Roman Empire and taken over. But it would have been temporary because ultimately it was about corruption in the human heart. And he knew in that moment that he needed a people after his own heart. If, we, if he was going to give us dominion over the earth again, our hearts needed to be transformed, right? That's why he looked for a man after his own heart like David. And he prophesied in 2 Samuel 7, he said, he said, I'm going, I'm going to find the man after my own heart, this man, David. And from his line is going to come a descendant, is going to come a king that will sit on the throne of his father David forever. And that king will not just change the political power of the day, he'll change the human heart. The church will take over the globe again. And it will be forever. It, not, not just for a term in power. Not, not just for one nation, but for all nations. And so, friends, I believe that what God's doing right now is going to change the earth. Every longing that we have for our nation, and we're all groaning, friends. The nations of the earth are groaning under corrupt governments, governments that are turning against God and his ways. We're groaning and we're longing for more, but the answer is found in Jesus, and the answer is found in his people. And David's kingdom was a prophetic kingdom of the kingdom that is to come. That's what, that's what the Bible says, 2 Samuel 7. Jesus is going to sit on the throne of his father, David, forever, and he's going to rule all of the nations of the earth. It was a prophetic picture of a kingdom that's coming. And for a moment, I want to look at David's kingdom because I believe David's kingdom gives us a glimpse into what it looks like when it's on earth as it is in heaven because that's the kingdom that's going to last forever. And David did this unique thing when he became king of Israel. I believe David saw heaven because what he did, you can't really explain. Like when you look at the Old Testament and you look at what, what was established in the tabernacle of Moses, it takes chapter after chapter and book after book. I mean, if you've read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's like, whoa, there's a lot of detail to the tabernacle of Moses. So many little laws and so many things that you have to follow and so many details to that tabernacle but when it comes to the tabernacle of David it's like David just disrupts the whole system and no one tells him he can do it you can go look at it there's no permission given to David you know in the tabernacle of Moses the holy of holies the the the, the was the place where only one priest could go one time a year it was that's where the ark of the covenant was it was behind a, a veil David takes the Ark of the Covenant and he just puts it in, he puts it outside of his throne room and he puts a tent over the top of it and he surrounds it with singers and musicians and God doesn't strike him dead. And so you have to ask yourself the question, why? And I believe that just as David's kingdom was a surprise, if you read it, and Jesus was a surprise, friends, I, I, just, I just believe that what David established 
he saw in heaven. Because there are similarities, and I want to look at those similarities today. So, first of all, we have to understand that when Jesus taught us to pray that it would be on the earth as it is in heaven, sometimes we really do see that as as symbolic. We're we're just going to get some of the good things in heaven. And and I believe the pattern that is established in heaven is, is more literally coming to earth. I believe that what David established, he saw. And it's what God's doing right now on the earth. And I'm going to give you a little example of that. Look, for example, at Psalm 63, verse 2. In Psalm 63, verse 2, if we read this passage sometimes, we just think that David had a really good time in the Word. He had, he had good devotions that morning and a few goosebumps. And so he said, see, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. That's good. Like if I come out of my time in the word in the morning, my secret place, and I go, Lord, I I feel like I've been with you in the throne room. I've beheld your glory and your power. That would be good, right? We would like that. But friends, I believe David actually saw. I believe he actually went to the sanctuary, beheld the power and the glory of God in heaven, just like John did. Now, there's an example of that in the word as well in the book of Hebrews 8, verse 5. In Hebrews 8, verse 5, the writer to the Hebrews is is talking about the, the, the patterns of the Old Testament and how they are a type and a shadow of what is to come in Jesus. And he talks about the tabernacle of Moses, and he says, this is what, this is how the tabernacle of Moses was established. He says, the tabernacle of Moses was to serve as a copy a shadow, a copy, a copy of something else, a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Friends, the writer to the Hebrews said that what Moses erected in the tabernacle was a copy, a shadow of something that he saw in heaven. I believe that when Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and it was surrounded by clouds and lightning and thunder, that's a pattern of what we see in heaven. The people of Israel were all afraid and backed away from the mountain. I believe that on the mountain, Moses saw the copy of the tabernacle in heaven. And then he built it on the earth. Friends, this is more literal than we think it is. Look at this for just a moment in Revelation 11, 19. When John was taken up to heaven in the book of Revelation, we see he wrote this in Revelation 11, verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. So first of all, we just have to stop there. God has a temple in heaven. You just have to know that. Like heaven's a real place. There's a real temple. Moses saw it because the writer of the Hebrews said he, that Moses erected a copy of the temple in heaven. So, so Revelation eleven nineteen. then God's temple in heaven was opened and the, look at what's there. And the ark of the covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail. Friends, there was an ark of the covenant in heaven before there was an ark of the covenant on the earth. Moses saw the ark of the covenant in heaven and he built it on the earth. A lot of times, friends, sometimes as a church, we just have it backwards. We think we're the center of attention, 
and heaven just responds to us. No, heaven is the center of the universe. Heaven is the center of the universe. Everything on the earth is only a type and a shadow until Jesus comes. It's only a type and a shadow until Jesus comes. That's the pattern in the word of God. And so we have to understand when Jesus said, I want it to be on the earth as it is in heaven. He said, I'm bringing my government. I'm going to rule on the earth and everything that's just a type and a shadow. Now you're going to see fully when I come. So if that's true, then I believe that David's tabernacle The tabernacle of David, the government of David, was a prophetic statement of a coming kingdom on the earth that Jesus would rule. Let's look at it real quickly. There are four similarities that I want you to see real quickly. And my point in, in this really is just for us to go, whoa, on earth as it is in heaven is is maybe more real than I was thinking. So look at this for just a moment. In heaven, God is worshipped at the center. Anytime we see heaven in the book of Isaiah, we see heaven in the book of Revelation. Anytime we see heaven, we see worship that never stops. Here in Revelation 4, 8, 9, 10, and 11, you will see that all of the activity around the throne of God is centered on God. He's at the center of it all. There's a throne in the center of all of the activity, and we're going to look at some of the activity, but he's at the center of it all. And what's established there means that in the kingdom of heaven, God's at the center. And when God's not at the center, it ceases to be the kingdom of heaven. So David comes along and he sees the sanctuary. And when he finally becomes king, 20 years after the prophetic promises, he sees heaven and he goes, I want my kingdom to look like heaven's. And so Psalm 24 was written as David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to the center of the nation. It had been lost. King Saul had not worried so much about the presence of God. He was more worried about religious activity, winning some wars, and keeping his power. Like most other kings. David was worried with one thing. I want the presence of God back at the center of my nation. And so he finds the Ark of the Covenant. He brings it back to the center of the nation and he writes Psalm 24. And when he writes Psalm 24, he makes a statement, even though he was waiting for 20 years for prophetic promises to unfold. Like how many of you know if you're waiting for 20 years for for prophetic promises to unfold, like you're going to grab onto those when they finally come, right? Well, David doesn't. David finally becomes king, which is a fulfillment of a prophetic promise. And then in Psalm 24, he asks the question. He goes, lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. I love that he asks the question. He's just been crowned king after waiting for 20 years, running for his life for much of it. He's just been crowned king. He asked the question, who is this king of glory? He goes, it's not me. It's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. He makes a statement, even though he's been given power, he goes, no, it's his presence that has to be at the center of this nation. It's only as his presence is at the center of this nation that we're going to be okay. So David makes a statement, just as God is at the center of heaven, God will be at the center of this kingdom. 
Secondly, as we look at the throne room in heaven, we see four, I'm going to call them primary worship leaders. The Bible calls them living creatures. We see four living creatures around the throne. So just close your eyes for a second and imagine it. There's a throne in heaven. God is seated on the throne in heaven. And around the throne, there are four living creatures. And those living creatures have eyes all around. That's what it says. I think that's awkward. I'm glad I only have two eyes. I don't want to see more than I do. I'm good. Unless I'm looking at him, then maybe I want more eyes. All right, so they have eyes all around, and it says they've got wings that cover their eyes, and they keep looking at God, and every time they look at him, they can't help but fall and worship. But when then they fall, they want to see it again, so they get up to see it again, and then they fall in worship. And they, the Bible says they just keep crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and they, they, they can't stop. That's what the, Bible, the Bible says they never cease crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah 6 talks about the same creatures, calls them seraphim, which translated means burning ones. The four burning ones around the throne of God. Those that are always gazing, beholding. There's so much beauty that they're taking in that it's combustive. Like the Bible talks about that the word should be living on the inside of us and that we should eat it. And that it becomes like a fire on the inside of us. That's what we want. Like, I think that's what it means to be a burning one. We just keep looking at him. And in our context, because we're not physically around the throne right now, it's, it's like in the place of his presence, we open up the word, the living revelation of who he is, and we just gaze at him again and again and again. And we just can't stop looking at him in the word. And the word reveals to us who he is, and it sets us on fire on the inside and so David establishes in his kingdom four primary worship leaders as well. So there's, there's four living creatures in heaven. Those four living creatures have eyes here, so they're constantly gazing, and they have eyes here, so they're constantly beckoning or calling all of heaven to worship. He's holy. He's holy. There's no one like him. He's holy. He's holy. There's no one like him. They just keep saying it over and over again and calling all of heaven to worship. So David establishes, David sees it, and he establishes four primary worship leaders in his kingdom as well. If you look at 1 Chronicles 25, verse 1, some of these chapters just lay out the way that David organizes his kingdom. And here in 1 Chronicles 25, verse 1, we see that David establishes himself and three other men as leaders, as four primary worship leaders in the body of, or, or in, in the tabernacle. So, so it's David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service, the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, who prophesied with lyres and with harps and with cymbals. So David, of course, is the chief musician, the chief really worship leader of the Bible, wrote the most chapters, the most songs, David, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, he establishes four primary worship leaders in his kingdom. So in heaven, God's at the center. In David's kingdom, God's at the center. In heaven, there are four primary worship leaders. In David's kingdom, there's four primary worship leaders. Let's keep going. Heaven has 24 singing elders. 
All right, so if you look at Revelation 4, verse 4, this is a fascinating passage because you've got God at the center, you've got four living creatures, and then Revelation 4, verse 4 says, and then I saw 24 more thrones. Which king do you know? Which president do you know? Which prime minister do you know who lets there be 24 other thrones in his throne room? Only God. Only God. And, and, and biblically, it's understood that these are human elders. They're not, they're not angels. They're not heavenly beings. They're human beings. And they're clothed in white by the blood of the lamb. They're, it says they're singing a new song, saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain, for you've redeemed us by your own blood. The, the, the elders sing the song of the redeemed. They're human elders, and it's a picture that God brings human beings to the center of his government. It's not angels in that place. It's not some other living heavenly creature. It's human beings right there in the center of the throne room. Human beings. It says those human beings have a harp in one hand and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It's this picture of human beings entering into the worship and the intercession of heaven. It's the, it's the harp, which is just a picture of our worship. So, so it's human beings entering into the worship of heaven that's already happening. You know, when we gather here, we're not starting worship. Worship always is happening in heaven. And as a prophetic symbol of a time to come, we gather and we join the worship of heaven. Worship starts, the music starts, James begins to lead, and it's like, no, it's like we're joining what's already happening in heaven. There's 24 elders in that context, and they pray, they make intercession just like Jesus does. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, and he's always making intercession. So in heaven, worship never stops. And in heaven, Jesus is always making intercession. And there are 24 human elders, and I just think they represent humanity who join the government of God. So, fascinating. 24 elders in heaven, but look at this. In David's kingdom, there, he establishes 24 elders. Look at 1 Chronicles 25, same chapter we were already in, verse 7 through 11. The number of them, along with their brothers who were trained in singing to the Lord, all who were skilled were 288, and they cast lots for their duties, small and great, teacher and pupil alike. The first lot fell to Asaph. So what he begins to do is, is here's the elder, and now the elder is going to be responsible for a certain number of worship teams. First lot fell to Asaph, to, to Joseph, to the second to Gedaliah, to him and his brothers and his sons, 12. The third to Zachar, his his sons and his brothers, 12. The fourth to Israel, his sons and his brothers, 12. And if you just keep reading down the chapter all the way to verse 31, you'll see that the 24th fell to Romanti Ezer, his sons and his brothers, 12. So David establishes 24 elders who lead 12 member worship teams. I think he saw him. I think you saw heaven. In David's kingdom, there are 24 12-member worship teams, 288 in total. 
So in heaven, God's at the center. In David's kingdom, God's at the center. In heaven, there are four primary or living creatures. In, in, in David's kingdom, there are four primary worship leaders. In heaven's kingdom, there are 24 elders. In David's kingdom, there are 24 elders. And one more, in heaven's kingdom, worship never stops. We said it already. Every time you get a glimpse of heaven, worship never stops. And friends, I believe that in David's kingdom, worship never stopped. Now, I, I actually, this is a painful one, a little bit painful for me, because I don't actually have the perfect passage that just says, and David established worship that never stopped. I need that passage. It's not there. But I'm just telling you, like, like you can look at a passage, for example, like, like, um, like 1 Chronicles 16, verse 27. 1 Chronicles 16, 27 says this. So David left Asaph, who was one of the elders, and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister regularly before the Ark as each day required. Okay, so 1 Chronicles 16 says that the elders ministered regularly as each day required. So if there are 24 12-member worship teams who minister regularly, as each day requires, how long do you think the worship goes? Friends, if you had, if you had 24 12-member worship teams who you paid, it was their full occupation. They had no other job. Do you think you could have worship here that never stopped? Yeah, I think it's possible. But you know what? It's not only just the 288, because you could look at another passage 1 Chronicles 23, verse 4, the 288, he added another 4,000. Then in 1 Chronicles 23, verse 4, he says, 4,000 shall offer praises to the Lord with instruments that I have made. So there's in David's tabernacle, in his government, and he's paying these people as their full-time occupation, 4,288 people. If you had 4,288 people in George who had a full-time job of ministering to the Lord, do you think you could minister to the Lord day and night? Yes, I think you could. My point, I'm just telling you, I think worship in David's kingdom never stopped. Because what do 4,288 people do regularly and daily when there's 24 worship teams? Seems obvious to me. So... So you, you might be asking me, uh, okay, that's cool, but what difference does that make right now? Well, well here's a, a little, I think it's a prophetic statement of what's coming. I think David's kingdom, you just look at it and you go, wow, David's kingdom reflected heaven. And the prophecy in 2 Samuel 7 is that David's kingdom, that someone would sit on the throne of David. And that his kingdom would be the kingdom that would last forever. And in that kingdom, that kingdom just happened to look like heaven. Friends, I believe that kingdom is coming to earth. I believe that what we see stirring in worship and prayer and intercession right now globally is the church going, we're just, I'm, I've never been taken up. I'm hoping to one day. But we just, by the spirit of God living on the inside of us, know that we have to be a people of worship and prayer. That we have to give ourselves to it more than we are right now. And God's stirring the church globally to do that. And I believe that in cities all over the earth, there's going to be night and day worship and prayer. It's not 
It's not a futile dream in our hearts. I believe that God is stirring the church to establish his government on the earth as it is in heaven. Friends, you can imagine if cities all over South Africa were giving themselves to worship and prayer that never stopped. What would happen in this nation? Completely changed. I agree. And I believe it's going to happen. I know it seems impossible. I know it seems impossible. Sometimes it seems impossible to me. And then I just remember, but God. I believe God can change everything. It could seem utterly impossible to us until God shifts something and we go, oh, I never thought of that. But let me ask you this question. Until that happens, why does that make a difference for us? It makes a difference because you are now the dwelling place of God. You are now carriers of his presence. When, when Jesus looked at the temple before he died, he looked at it and he said, do you see this temple? He says, I'm going to tear it down and I'm build it again in three days. He was talking about you. This place that represents my presence is no longer going to be the representation of my presence. It's going to be in you. And friends, we can live on earth as it is in heaven right now. I, 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 I mean, uh, we already told you, like, this is going to be our job until the day I die. I'm, I'm going to build a resting place for God with all of my heart, strength, and might. But it's going to come from a church who's already living that reality. It, night and day prayer is not going to be established by a new program of the church. Night and day prayer is going to be established by burning ones all over this city who are living the reality of, of on earth as it is in heaven right now. And so you ask yourselves, well, how do I do that? Here's how you do that. You put God at the center of your life. And I know that sounds basic, but I'm telling you, we all know, if we're honest with ourselves, that it's not as easy as we think it is. How do I have God at the center of my finances? So that someone looks at my bank account online, they go like, well, what are you doing with your money? Like, why is it going there? And why is it? I mean, does it look like God's at the center of my finances? Does it look like God's at the center of my education? Does, does it look like God's at the center of my business? Does it look like God's at the center of my family? Does it look like God's at the center of our church? We need God at the center. Otherwise, it ceases to be the kingdom. We need God at the center. Friends, we can be those burning ones right now. I believe there's an invitation for all of us to behold him in the word. We're going to look at this on Wednesday. We're going to look at how we can actually grow to become burning ones. Opening up the word of God and then actually fellowshipping with other believers. Because I have two eyes, but you also have two eyes, and you have two eyes, and you have two eyes. And you have two eyes, and you have two eyes, and you have two eyes. So in the room, we've got about more than 200 eyes, probably. And so I see what you see, and you see what I see. And, and, and our conversations, as God's at the center of our lives, our conversations become more about God than every other thing that's happening in the world. And now it's more about what we see in the Word than what we see happening around us, because that, that, that's going to pass away. But His Word's never going to pass away. So that becomes the center of our conversation. And now I see what you see, and you see what I see, and I see what you see, and you see what I see. And all of a sudden, we become burning ones. And all over the city of George, there are burning ones with the presence of God. And all they can do is put God at the center, and all they can do is talk about God. Like, that's called transformation. And then we can, 
Number three, we can, we can take our place in the place of worship and prayer and understanding, whoa, I was made to have dominion. And by the blood of the lamb, he redeemed me to be a king and a priest. And even now, when I open up my mouth in worship and prayer, demons are pushed back and angels are released. And all of a sudden, the prayer meetings at church are not the smallest meeting, but now they're the biggest prayer. Because everyone understands, it's like, no, this is the place of power. If we want to get something done, this is where it starts. And fourth, we live what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says, pray without ceasing. Now, and I know that seems impossible, except for the fact that Jesus, when he walked on the earth, fully God, fully man, was always leaning into what the Father was doing. That's just what it looks like. It doesn't mean you're on your knees with your hands folded all day long. That's impractical. But we really can live the reality of praying without ceasing, fellowshipping with him all day long. From the time I get up in the morning, it's like, good morning, Lord. Lord, I want to walk with you all day. I want to hear you. I want to know what you're thinking and feeling. I want to look at people, and I want to have your thoughts in your mind, and I want to walk that way. I want to talk that way, and I, I want to treat them that way. I want to be with someone who's constantly fellowshipping with you all day long. And when I go to bed at night, I go, God, break in in, in the night Give me dreams and visions. Speak to me in the night because I just want to fellowship with you all day long. We can live that reality right now. And so I just want to invite us to respond. That as we've been praying, as the church has been praying for thousands of years, we've prayed together that it would be on the earth as it is in heaven. I believe God is beginning to move across the nations of the earth and answering that cry. That it would be on the earth as it is in heaven. And each one of us just needs to respond and go, God, I, I want to live that reality. I don't want to just sing the song on earth as it is in heaven. I love that song. I don't want to just sing the song. I want to live the reality. I want to be the very dwelling place of God now. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I just, I just want us to respond for just a moment. I believe that there are people in the room, singers, musicians, and intercessors, who you just go like, like I was made for this. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what it looks like. I, I just know that I was made for this, and I have no capacity to think that I could do it as a full-time occupation. Minister to the Lord full-time? Are you, are you crazy? I have a family. I, I have a job. I, I, I have stuff I have to do. Well, what if God just showed up with finances and released you to be a singer, musician, worship leader, intercessor who ministered to him day and night? I believe that there are those people in the room. And I, if that's you today, I just want to invite you to come and we want to pray for you. You just think like, I, I just have this ache. Like, I remember having this conversation with a friend of mine when I first met him. And he says, I don't know what I should do with my life, but I just... I know I should get a job, but I just have this ache to, like, worship God and pray all day long. And, I, and, I'm, and, and he kind of felt bad about it. Like, it sounded not noble to him. And I'm like, you know, that's not your flesh that says you want to worship and pray all day. Like, it's actually hard work. <laughs> like, that's the spirit of God on the inside of you. And if you're just sitting here today going, I don't know what this looks like, but I think I might be one of those, I'm going to invite you to come. And we just want to pray for you. Just that God would continue to mark your heart. Singers, musicians, worship leaders, intercessors. I'm just going to have you come and stand up here. We want to pray for you. And then there's those of you who are like, 
I don't know if I'm a singer, musician, worship leader, intercessor person. I mean, I know I, I agree with all of that, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm called to the marketplace or I'm called to every sphere of society. And, and I just, I just want to live this reality where I am and I want to take it to another level. I want to live on earth as it is in heaven right right now, and I want it to be reflected in my finances. I want it to be reflected in my family. I want it to be reflected in my business. I want to give everything, my whole life, to establish the kingdom of God on the earth as it is in heaven, and you're going to do it through education or business. God's going to give you a creative idea, and he's, he's going to give you the ability to make wealth and, and build the kingdom from that place. I want you to come as well and just say, Lord, I offer that to you. I just offer this to you. I want to build your kingdom in power. I want you to come too. There's still more room up here. Let's fill up here. And then, and I know that there's probably going to be, let's just fill the whole aisle. Friends, this is what God's doing. This is so much bigger than our life. If we could see with eyes of faith right now to go, friends, I believe God's peering over the balcony of heaven, eagerly waiting for it to look like heaven on the earth. And I believe we're going to see it. I believe it's coming. I believe we're going to see it. All of the dreams, all of the greater works, everything that we're longing for and praying for for South Africa, we're going to see it. As we establish his kingdom, his government on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to invite church leaders and 111, anyone to just come and let's just lay hands and just ask God to mark our hearts for his kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven.